Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. to episode 60 of The Hilo, the weekly news and pop culture podcast brought to you by journalists Dolly Alderton and Pandora Sykes. It's been killing me all morning that I finally have to ask, how was the Rolling Stones? So to say that Dolly was bitter and twisted <laughs> about me going for Rolling Stones and not her is an understatement. I, I actually got a voice note that said, I hate you. Well, that, I, I'll tell you the reason why I sent that voice note is I sent you a message saying, do you, I was writing a script, this is how much I love the Rolling Stones, I was writing a script that features the Rolling Stones in it as a motif, and I sent you a picture of the scene I was writing, and I said, do you even know a Rolling Stones song? And you replied with the voice note, brown sugar, that's all you said. <laughs> I know loads more than that. But I do understand that they mean an awful lot to you, and it was quite satisfying having been like either a very pregnant person or a very new mum person and watching you like whirling around the world <laughs> on your live rock star tour being able to I literally was going to like the Waterstones Guildford but being f- fine I wasn't there being able to go to something that you were a bit jealous of was quite gratifying however it wasn't only you that thought that I shouldn't be at the Rolling Stones I met a lovely couple of girls called Chloe and Millie who actually told me that I shouldn't be at the Rolling Stones. <laughs> I'm, I, I recorded it and I'm just going to insert their voice note here. Pandora's music taste is completely off. <laughs> it's shy, Donny. We've also got wine with a can. Donny, so. where the hell are you? Why is Pandora here? So I was live trolled by the Dolly Alderton support cast. No, Chloe and Millie are awesome. Um, that made me laugh. We're so lucky to have listeners like you. You're such cool, interesting women. And also a bit drunk, I think. <laughs> Um, how was it? How was it? So I think we were sitting in the OAP section because I was surrounded by... My section. 60-year-old men who weren't cracking a smile. It was absolutely hilarious. But I I, I mean, I loved it. They're such funny little bird men, aren't they, the Rolling Stones? <laughs> I think I weigh more than all four combined. Yeah, they're pretty, they're they pretty slight. Little twiglets who bending was your around favorite? the stage. Who was your favourite, Keith? Um, I quite liked Ronnie, actually. Yeah. They're just so malleable. They're so bendy. They're all in their mid seventies now. Absolutely amazing. And in these sparkly little shirts. What yes. was your favourite song they played? Brown I... sugar. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think my favourite is um, probably Satisfaction. I'm so jealous. You know, I have been offered a ticket but every time a ticket comes up it's just a singular ticket and I love them so much and I've never seen them live so I think can I just go and like be on my own and oh, you dance def- on my own you I definitely should have gone anyway no it was it was great I'm a little bit hungover today <laughs> but I wish you'd <laughs> well, been there allowed. with us and I think Chloe and Millie wished you'd been there too oh thank you Chloe and Millie on a much heavier note I'm sure many of our listeners have been following the shocking statistics this week in light of Trump's new zero tolerance immigration policy 2,000 children are said to have been separated from their families in the last six weeks. The ACLU have called it an unprecedented human rights disaster. There are some horrifying stories being shared on the ACLU website. Marco Antonio Munoz, a Honduran father who killed himself after being separated from his wife and child at the border. Three siblings taken from their parents were told they couldn't even hug each other in the shelter they've been placed in. And parents who were deported four months ago are still waiting for the US to return their baby. I just can't even imagine. Trump has said he doesn't want children being removed from parents, but when you prosecute the parents for coming in illegally, which should happen, you have to take the children away. A screenshot of something that was shared on Instagram, which I just thought was so powerful. You have to understand that no one puts their children in a boat unless the water is safer than the land. And I think to anyone who doesn't fully understand the weight of what it must be 
to put your children into an inflatable mm. dinghy mm. which should only take 10 or to try and illegally cross the border of the United States of America and risk being separated from your children like these immigrants know the the risks that they are taking but they are desperate they are not migrating for a better mm. life mm. they are immigrating because they have no choice and it is utterly shocking and you can you can read so much on that it's on the ACLU website there are stories unfolding you know real life stories I'm also very disappointed this week that upskirting got chucked out of Parliament. We've been really following Beanie Martin's um, absolutely incredible work, which started started last year when Beanie was trying to get the man that took a picture up her skirt prosecuted. And it really gathered momentum until she got this into Parliament and everyone thought it was going to be a shoo-in, mm. had everyone's backing. But it was chucked out by the MP, Sir Christopher Chope, because he said it hadn't been fairly debated. And actually, Theresa May tweeted afterwards that she was really disappointed it hasn't gone mm. through. And did you see his door? His door was strewn with knickers. No, I didn't. By MPs, yeah. yeah. Someone, um, a journalist, I won't say where she works in case she'd rather not, but a journalist replied to me on Instagram going, Sir Christopher Chode, more like. Yeah. Yeah, it's an unfortunate name for uh, an unfortunate man. <laughs> he since um, said that he, he wants it to pass and that he... And I can understand, actually, that for him, he feels it's really important that we follow legal process. So he was not against the bill. He did say afterwards that he didn't even know what it was about. Well, upskirting, for anyone who doesn't know at home, is the act of taking pictures up women's skirts without their consent obviously anyway beanie has been really really positive and brilliant in life she is it. fighting the good fight she went on to this morning and and she was asked you know are you really disappointed and she said well i'm focusing on the positive and that mm. is that it is going to get through next time because the only person who was not up for it going through was sir christopher he has since said that he was against the fact it wasn't debated he is now on the side of the bill so i'm really confident it's going to get through so i think this is a really important Bill, just, you know, another step in protecting women and taking women's bodies seriously in a legal way, Mm. not just in a cultural way, Mm. but in a legal way. It's also a year on since the Grenfell Tower tragedy where 72 people lost their lives in the fire. The tower was lit up in green last Thursday in tribute to the anniversary amidst vigils and commemorative walks and the hashtag Green for Grenfell circulated with public figures like Theresa May donning green that day. Even the Queen wore Kermit green that day. Did you see that? I did. I found it really powerful, actually. And I shared it on Instagram and Twitter. Someone sent me a furious message asking how the Queen's dress could help the people in Grenfell that burn in their beds. And of course, if you look at it in a literal sense, she cannot. She could do nothing to save those people. What she can do is that she can foster awareness and offer support and really help build public momentum to to ensure that every single door in every single council block is replaced with one that is far resistant and that cladding is removed from every single council building. That's how I found it powerful Mm -hmm. and actually her behavior around Grenfell I thought was really great she's 92 years old it you know arguably it's not that easy for her to be moving around the country and yet she was down Mm. at the site the day after the fire I was far more impressed with her than how a lot of politicians behaved a lot of people were I think it shows she cares and I think that is important for public spirit and public consciousness and as I said the momentum behind the need to better protect the people that live in council housing. There was this really moving video that was um, that went viral online last week of a train driver driving over a vigil right next to Grenfell and he stopped, he beeped the horn of the train and then he stopped the train and leant out of the window with a green scarf and everyone cheered. It was very, very moving. I do find social media incredible for sharing these, these kind of localised... Yes. Um, tributes yeah. whether it's solidarity solidarity yeah, yeah. If, if social media has given us one thing it is the united storytelling totally. that we can all join in on and learn from and and pass on it's powerful in and that actually sense. when you think about if you're someone who 
lost someone in that fire to see that you have the support of people from all different walks of life to you be it the queen or a train driver all saying to you I haven't forgotten I haven't forgotten that person that would be hugely comforting and powerful I think yeah so we mustn't underestimate that aside from the rolling stones damn you to hell what else have you been up to this week I have been reading a lot about the NHS. It's the 70-year anniversary of our National Health Service. Set in the context of the Tories debating um, new policies and, as ever, planning implemented cuts to the NHS, a lot of writers have been talking about what the NHS means to them. The author Mark Haddon, whose name many of you will recognise from his brilliant book, The Curious Instant of the Dog at Night, was just beautiful on it. I shared a quote of his piece actually for The Guardian on Instagram, in fact. I think more often than not, people think of the NHS in the context of their own individual experience. So, oh, I had to wait six hours in, you know, walk-in A&E, therefore the NHS is shit. Rather, Mark reminds us that we should put aside our own individual experience. And that's not to say he hasn't had brilliant positive individual experiences. The NHS actually saved the life of his wife and unborn child after they were struck in a road accident. But Mark says we should love the NHS because it would have done that for anyone. He says that people who dodge tax are stealing from schools and hospitals. He said that privileged people, like himself, like us, should pay more tax, as much tax as it takes to stop this strained and bloated system from buckling. The NHS, he writes, and I love this, is a radical kindness. Does that mean it's perfect? Hell no. As he points out, over a million people work for the NHS. There's some crap people in there. There are some dickheads in there. But I'd like to offer by illustration via my sister, who is an NHS midwife at Chelsea and Westminster and helped deliver my own daughter. I think this makes the best point of all. Chelsea and Westminster are meant to deliver 3,000 babies a year. They have the staff to deliver 3,000 babies. But the maternity unit delivers 6,000 babies. The thing that I always want to remind myself when you're waiting for hours in this walk-in A&E is that if you're waiting, it's because someone else needs help more than you, that someone else might be dying, that lives might be being saved as you Mm. wait there. Mm. It's not because they are off on a sandwich break. Or negligence, yeah. It's because the staff that Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt has promised have not materialised. It is also worth remembering, if you can afford it, that there is an option to go private. No one is forcing you, if you have enough disposable income, to use the NHS. I am lucky enough to be able to pay for Booper, which means that whilst I value the NHS immensely, I can afford to take an alternative option. I am not paying tax so that I can use the NHS. I am paying tax so that, as Mark Haddon says, everyone can use the NHS. I'm not paying tax just so that I can use the NHS. I'm paying tax, as Mark Haddon reminds us, so that everyone has the opportunity to use the NHS. I just want to read a little bit out that I found just so meaningful. I love the NHS because we pay for it with our taxes and because the care we receive is the same whether we've paid a million pounds or nothing. If we want to save the NHS, we need to celebrate tax. We need to think of it not as money the government steals from us, but as our contribution to a safe and just and healthy society. We need to think of tax reducing loopholes as stealing from hospitals and schools. We need those who are well off to pay more, and I include myself in that category. An extra 1% on the top rate, 2%, 4%, whatever it takes. The true worth of the NHS is not that it saved our family, it is that it would make the same effort for every family even if that family were destitute. The true worth of the NHS is that those of us who are lucky enough to pay tax can go to sleep at night hoping that we have helped make that radical kindness possible. I've also been enjoying this week an interview with Mark Maron by Hadley Freeman for The Guardian. Oh, I haven't read this and I love Mark Maron. I know you do, so here it is. Oh, thank you, I saved it to you, Dolly. Thank you. It's in The Guardian magazine, which talks about how the comedian is suddenly in the best stage of his life, in his 50s, sober, having been kind of on the comedy scene for 20 years, due to his podcast, What the Fuck, with Mark Maron. Which is enormous. It's had Barack Obama on it. Hadley and Mark talk about Mark's feud with Jon Stewart, who Mark hated for many years for being very successful. And then he got over it and tried to apologise and John was having none of it after kind of years of trying to be, you know, very solicitous and generous towards Mark and essentially being told to fuck off. Mm. And eventually he was like, you know what, fuck you. So Hadley asks him if he regrets his behaviour and Mark goes, no, I don't regret it. It was who I was. 
And Hadley writes, it's a very Marin-esque story, self-deprecating and arrogant, apologetic and unregretful, pathetic and abrasive. Yeah. You'll absolutely yeah. love it. He's such a complicated character. Lastly, I'm reading a book that is blowing my mind and is actually quite appropriate given our topic coming up later in this episode. The book is called Mothers, an essay on love and cruelty by the journalist and author Jacqueline Rose. Jacqueline says that all of society's ills are blamed on mothers. Now, before anyone rolls their eyes, it's not a sort of poor me, lay off the mummies misery memoir. It's actually a political polemic about the role that mothers play in society. There are a couple of bits that I wanted to read out that I think are really interesting. Firstly, it was on custody. It was not until 1973 in the UK that following divorce or separation, mothers gained equal custody rights over their children. The father was legally the sole parent and a mother was only granted of her children until the age of seven. Then they would be taken away and given to the father. Up until the 1920s, a woman was only free to apply to the courts for equal custodianship if she was legally married. A single mother was robbed of her children, tarred with deficiency, as if she herself was the reason for the economic constraints and social exclusion from which she was likely to suffer. So it's only in 1973 that a woman automatically didn't have her children taken away from her, despite the assumption now that you are the primary caregiver. So I find that absolutely just mind-blowing. And then I just think this was just a really powerful piece of writing on why mothers are so often blamed for society's shortcomings. Because mothers are seen as our point of entry into the world, there is nothing easier than to make social deterioration look like something that is the sacred duty of mothers to prevent, a type of socially upgraded version of the tendency in modern families to blame mothers for everything. This neatly makes mothers guilty, not just for the ills of the world, but also for the rage that the unavoidable disappointments of an individual life cannot help but provoke. And she goes on to write just so many interesting things on this idealised notion of motherhood and why mothers are so often the target for critique. That's what I've been enjoying. What about you, Dolly? I've been swallowed up by West Cork, properly swallowed up, binged the whole thing in a day, eight hours of listening. <laughs> It's like serial all over again. This is a new audiobook, right? Uh, this is an audible series. Thank you so much to the Hilo listener who recommended it to me because I hadn't heard of it and I just thought it was so brilliant. I actually think I'm going to go listen to go do a second listen of it. I liked it so much. So it is a true crime series and it's narrated and produced by um, an investigative journalist called Sam Bungie and. Um, a documentarian, his wife called Jennifer Ford. And their relationship is a kind of interesting backdrop to it as well. They moved to West Cork to cover this story. And I think they were there for about three years. And during that time, they also had a baby. Um, so there's like a really, um, there's a show at the end of the series, which is kind of like the after show unpacking everything. And they talk a lot about the process of of telling that story as a as a couple going through a really interesting time in their marriage. The series is about a murder that happened right before Christmas in 1996 when a woman called Sophie Toscan Duplantier was found dead in her nightclothes outside her holiday home in a very, very remote and rural part of West Cork, just outside a small town called Skull. And... Um, it was the first murder that had happened in the area for since the 20s, I think, and I don't think that there's been a murder since. It was really, it really shook up a very peaceful um, town, which I think is called the Irish Riviera. It's where a lot of people have their kind of holiday homes. And a man called Ian Bailey, who's a very strange local character, is kind of the point of intrigue actually through the whole thing, and he was the only suspect during the um, inquiry and his he's now got this almost macabre celebrity status in Ireland for basically being considered as a man who got away with murder and they have direct access to Ian and they um, spend a lot of time with him um, they spend a lot of time with his wife they spend a lot of time in his home it's a lot of interviews with him and I think it's a testament to how well the show was produced and how well the story was told that at, in the after show they said that both the victims 
family and the accused were both really happy with the series. Mm, which is like quite that's an extraordinary very rare. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just beautifully soundscaped. There's a real kind of Irish, they capture real kind of Irish mysticism in it as well. Upholding my status as the number one podcast, I also have um, Susan Kalman's new podcast series, Mrs. Brightside, to recommend, Ooh, which is a fun? podcast about mental health. In particular, I want to recommend the episode with Jessie Cave, who is a um, sort of humorist and a writer and a brilliant actor, and she does these um, very popular doodles on Instagram. I absolutely love her. I often Instagram story her she's very very funny she's great and she has this very very honest conversation with susan kalman about anxiety paranoia jealousy in relationships um what it's like to break up with the father of your children raise a co-parenting in a broken relationship i mean it's she's so honest and i've just always loved her for her kind of lightness her humor And finally, I would like to recommend a podcast that was made for you, Pandora Sykes, called Unpopped. It is getting serious about the silly stuff. (laughs) Hayley Campbell and friends examine the biggest pop culture moments of the recent past. My God, it's a brilliant podcast. It's absolutely brilliant. Who recommended this to you? How do you find them? I know about this one because I'm a big fan of Hayley Campbell. Um, She's a journalist and I follow her on Twitter. So past episodes have looked into Come Dine With Me, Tomb Raider, Twin Peaks, The Spice Girls, RuPaul's Drag Race, um, and David Spice Foster Wallace. Yeah, David Foster Wallace. So it is this real high-low mix, obviously, that what you was your and I fave? really love. The only one I've listened to so far, which was my gateway into Unpopped, is Bridget Jones in the Status of Comedy. And it's the most intelligent detailed nuanced discussion of Bridget Jones the legacy that she left on um, public consciousness the legacy she left on um, that kind of genre of literature on common parlance how she captured the zeitgeist they kind of look at it as a moment in time and a kind of capsule of the 90s the conversations with Daisy Buchanan who is a brilliant writer and a friend of the Hilos, Lucy Vine, who is a fantastic novelist and who's written a series of really successful books that have been hailed as the new Bridget Jones Diaries, and Andy Miller, who's, who works in publishing. And it's really interesting to have all those voices. And I must say, Daisy in particular is so thoughtful and um, brings so much kind of fresh new insight into something that's been so overtued. And as she was speaking, I just thought, Daisy writes beautiful um personal journalism and uh wonderful memoirs but as she was speaking i was like god daisy should be an arts critic she was so so brilliant so that's a great episode and i'd also like to make a campaign i think Haley campbell is a fantastic um interviewer and she really steers the episode with um a really kind of masterful confidence so and she's also super hot so i would like to make a campaign that she should become like the new female sexy Melvin Bragg (laughs) some great recommendations there I am facing a very long trip to Greece tomorrow for a wedding so I might actually take up your recommendation of unpopped when I get the baby to sleep that's all right up my it's it's the heart of of what we try to do you know it's kind of being academic and um thoughtful about the lightness pop culture stuff yeah it's really good speaking of Light. I've been reading a ton on Love Island since our discussion last week about That's the lack of like body diversity. Everyone's writing about it. Have you no, not seen? Everyone's writing about it. Everyone's talking about it. The comedian Ramesh Ranganathan wrote a funny piece for The Guardian. He said that all these op-eds that people are writing being quite sort of outraged by Love Island are just because Love Island makes men feel bad about their dad bods. <laughs> and that people shouldn't be shocked that more people applied to Love Island than Oxbridge because all you have to write in your personal statement for Love Island is, I very much like the sex. <laughs> Jeremy Clarkson's daughter Emily also wrote something about how to be a feminist fan of Love Island. We've also had a lot of responses to our question during our live record for Moet on citizenship after I talked about a riveting piece I'd read in GQ on how countries such as St Kitts and Nevis are offering citizenship and visas to rich people in return for investment. I told you it wasn't boring. 
One from Alva, a university student who recently finished a class on CBI, Citizen by Investment Schemes, who writes, Dolly was dead on the money when she said it sounded dodgy. These schemes have links to everything corrupt going on in the world, to links with Russia, Cambridge Analytica, the Trump administration, specifically to Jared Kushner and the Kushner family organisation, the murder of the investigative journalist Daphne and Karina Galizia in Malta, who was investigating the CBI scheme in Malta. In the opposing camp, we had an email from Anonymous who believes citizen by investment to be a positive scheme. I have been working in the citizenship by investment industry for six years. And the main thing that I learned is that all of these programs, which are implemented globally, by the way, St. Kitts being the oldest and not most popular at the moment. I'm also talking Cyprus, Malta, Grenada, Antigua, St. Lucia, are subject to a very strict due diligence. Only applicants with transparent sources of wealth and a trustworthy reputation will be approved under such programmes. In fact, she writes, Malta has a 25% rejection rate on the programme. She goes on to say, there is nothing wrong with high net worth individuals with transparent businesses receiving alternative citizenships and residencies. They are not pretending to assume new identities, but rather secure an ease of visa-free travel for themselves or a safe future for their families. By doing so, they are not relying on public funds, but instead offering a boost to the local economy for the greater good of the countries. So two completely opposing mm. views there on two people who either study or work in CBI, which I find particularly interesting. So they're both kind of coming from the same perspective i personally don't think a 25 percent rejection rate is very high i'd say that like a very very stringent rejection rate is sort of 80 or 90 percent but i really enjoyed reading these responses and learning a bit more about cbi so thank you support for the hilo comes from the google pixel 2 google has been built on asking questions and challenging the status quo from search to email to maps and beyond, it has a history of challenging the norm and finding a better way. Each week, Dolly and I cast our eye over the news and look for someone that has challenged the status quo. This week, I would like to nominate the broadcaster Samira Ahmed, who applied for a job on BBC Question Time with this tweet. I have two awards for journalism, 28 years in the broadcast news biz, including 11 at Channel 4 News, currently presenting Newswatch BBC and BBC Front Row, an honorary fellow of St Edmund Hall, Oxford. I'm V well qualified to present BBC Question Time and I'd like to be seriously considered, she tweeted. Brave for daring to say you'd be good enough. Utterly liberating to see, tweeted MP Jess Phillips in response. Samira followed up later with this tweet. I've spoken to a senior news manager and been assured that my name is now being passed on for consideration. Happy to go through a process based on equal opportunity, fairness and merit. What a woman. Thank you to Samira for inspiring women to ask for what they know they deserve and to Google and the Google Pixel too for indulging our curiosity always. It's now time for the top line, read by Dolly Hannah Alderton. William Hague's call to legalise cannabis has been rejected by the government. The former Tory leader, who was prompted by the case of a little boy with epilepsy who was given a special licence to use cannabis oil, has said that the war on cannabis has been irreversibly lost and a change of policy was needed. Home Secretary Sajid Javid has told MPs that there will be a review of the medical use of cannabis in the UK with a panel looking into a therapeutic use of the drug. American rapper Tentacion has been shot dead in Miami, leaving a motorcycle dealership. The 20-year-old was one of rap's more controversial artists and was currently facing charges of domestic abuse. The kidnapper of Chloe Ayling has been sentenced to almost 17 years in prison. 30-year-old Lucas Herber abducted the then 20-year-old British model Chloe in Milan last year before demanding a £250,000 ransom. Shame on all of the ignorant people who doubted what had happened to me and think they know more than the Italian authorities, tweeted Chloe after the news broke. A glamour model has told how she was brainwashed by an ISIS recruiter and then groomed to move to Syria to become the next white widow. 29-year-old Kimberly Miners from London says she was targeted online by ISIS recruiter Naweed Hussein, who died in an airstrike in February. She was arrested by anti-terror police last year after they found correspondence between her and Hussein, which included a bomb-making manual. 
Miner said she fell for Hussein after suffering a miscarriage and breaking up with her fiancé. Those experiencing gender dysphoria when a person's biological sex conflicts with their gender identity will no longer be classified as mentally ill. The World Health Organization announced the development on Monday as part of their new catalogue covering all injuries, illnesses and diseases. Trans activists have maintained that by categorising gender dysphoria as a mental disorder, the World Health Organization has been categorising being trans as something wrong that needs to be fixed. Canadian Parliament has passed a law legalising the recreational use of marijuana nationwide. The Cannabis Act passed its final hurdle on Tuesday in a 52-29 vote in the Senate. The bill controls and regulates how the drug can be grown, distributed and sold. Canadians will be able to buy and consume cannabis legally as early as this September. The country is the second worldwide to legalise the drug's recreational use. Personally, I've never been prouder to be half Canadian. Thomas Markle has given his first TV interview since the royal wedding last month. Speaking with Good Morning Britain, Thomas spoke candidly about those staged paparazzi shots, saying that it was an attempt to change his image. For the last year, photographs of me were always derogatory. They would take a picture of me hand-grabbing a beer or pictures of me getting in my car or taking the garbage out. I thought this would be a nice way of improving my look. Well, obviously that all went to hell and I feel bad about it. I apologised for it and that's all I can do. I realised it was a serious mistake. Both Harry and Meghan were very forgiving about it. Researchers have found that teetotalers are likely to die earlier than light drinkers. People who've never touched alcohol are 7% more likely to die or develop cancer before people who drink three glasses of wine a week. The shocking statistics from a study led by Queen's University Belfast is not apparently a call for non-drinkers to start boozing, as researchers cannot be sure that alcohol was responsible for lower death rates in drinkers. Five people were injured in an explosion at Southgate Underground Station. Witnesses described smelling burning rubber and seeing six-foot flames. Police said the minor explosion on Tuesday was thought to have been caused by a battery. London Mayor Sadiq Khan said the explosion had been confirmed as non-suspicious. American retailer Target have apologised for a Father's Day card featuring a black couple and the slogan Baby Daddy, pulling it from their 900 stores nationwide. Are you kidding me? This is the only card featuring a black couple, wrote Takesha Sanders on Facebook. The card also generated discussions about the pejorative term baby daddy. Why do we have baby daddies, not fathers? Asked Talia on Twitter. And that was the top line. What about cannabis in there? A lot of interesting conversations happening around it. And I'm reading increasing amounts of really persuasive material about how mandatory, to be honest, it is for therapeutic use, especially around children with epilepsy, children having 100 fits a day. I mean, I agree. And I also think it's interesting to talk about legalising it for recreational use as well. And it's something that we would love to talk about in a future episode, perhaps with um, some experts. Yeah, someone that knows more than us. I think that'd be really interesting. Good on Thomas Markle for fessing up, for saying, yeah, I did stage those. Um, I really felt for him. He said, I felt like they were really trying to paint a picture of me, that I was this weird hermit living in Mexico. Mm. He said, they always took pictures of me when I was buying beer. Mm. And so I felt like I wanted to try and make it look a bit more positive, you know, Mm. Mm. to to sort of make Harry and Meghan, you know, feel a bit prouder. Anyway, I'm glad that he says that they have um, forgiven him for that. I'm also really glad for Chloe Ayling, who must feel really kind of vindicated by this news. And actually the journalist Elizabeth Day and I were tweeting and she was saying, all those people who instead of kind of wondering what on earth happened and if she was okay, just speculating on what she was wearing. Because she was wearing a bodycon dress. She's fame hungry. Well, even one of the tabloids reported, um, Ailing celebrates victory by tweeting naked picture. That's a picture of her in a bikini smiling because she is so funny. I can see a swimsuit model, no? It's so funny. I think that we will look back at the way that we reported around women in like sooner than we think. And I think we will just be so astonished by how deeply entrenched misogyny is in every word, in every sentence in reporting. Support for the Hilo comes from our favourite bubbly, Moet and Shandon. With the weather warming up, we wanted to remind you of Moet Ice. Moet Ice Imperial is the first ever champagne created to be enjoyed over ice, crafted by cellar master Benoit Gouez. 
Taking his inspiration from the classic piscine cocktail, Guez launched a trend by creating a champagne which actually tastes better on the rocks. Instead of diluting the taste with Moet ice, the three ice cubes complete the flavour. So whether you're celebrating the World Cup or enjoying summer soirees, it must be Moet. I've got a question for you. Do you prefer rosé champagne or blanc? Rosé, always rosé, even in November. You know me, total rosé hag. I like Blanc myself, but uh, either will do. And I think the fact we don't know this means we obviously haven't drunk enough champagne together, which we must remedy at once. Thanks very much to Moet and Shandon. Now, brace yourselves. Here at the Hilo, we're not best known for our keen interest or even vague interest in sporting events, but we felt there is no way we could talk about the goings-on of the week without talking about the World Cup. Look at Charlie's grin. He's got an excitable little grin on his face. There is no doubt that our football-mad producer might have influenced this section. As Dolly wrote to CJ when his latest missive landed in our inboxes this week, CJ is shipping the Hilo and the World Cup so hard right now. (laughs) Now, a disclaimer, if you will. If you want technical football commentary, then may we recommend the game produced by our very own CJ for the Times every single evening. This is not going to be that. We're just going to have a little prattle about the good, the bad and the bizarre. When we decided we were going to talk about the World Cup, I actually had a moment where I was walking down my road and I asked myself, what is the World Cup? And then immediately I answered, a football competition. (laughs) Is that what it is? It is that, isn't it? It's like the Wimbledon of football. And how often does it happen, CJ? Every four years. Every four years. And is it the biggest football competition? Yes, internationally, yeah. And do do you win an actual cup? More of a trophy than a cup. A yeah. trophy. You win a trophy. Do you win anything else or just the prestige of the trophy? Just the prestige. Cool. Final question. Um, do they get a new trophy every year or do the last winners pass the trophy on to the new winners? Uh, there's no official handover. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same It's the same old trophy. Yeah. Yeah. Have we lost our five male <laughs> listeners yet? This segment couldn't get more gendered if it tried. And it's also unfortunate, as I know some really cool, smart, football literate women. Football isn't just lads, 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 and football fans are not 2D. And I feel very sorry for everyone listening that this podcast is not helmed by at least one of those women for our (laughs) listeners' benefit. What I will say is that the World Cup quite clearly flying in the face of uh, Dolly's conversation with herself is more than just a football competition. I'm actually not trying to be patronising. I am just trying to get my head around it. More than 21 million people watched England beat Tunisia on Monday night. The World Cup is a powerful, political, cultural, global event, which is why there was so much controversy over it being hosted by Russia giving their terrible LGBTQI rights. I'm going to start with my favourite fact of the World Cup so far, which is, of course, that Tunisia has a player called Sassy whose name seems to have captured the hearts of basic girls the world over. I think he's captured the hearts of many men, I know too. (laughs) As has Harry Kane, who being a Spurs supporter my husband was in love with anyway. My favourite bit about these giant sporting enterprises, I like to call them, is always the opening ceremony, mainly because they involve bizarre choreography, national old-timers, and someone wearing a massive pair of wings. There's always someone wearing a massive pair of feathered big bird wings and all these roving cameras which rather dense the atmos which brings us neatly to something with wings angels and robbie williams who sung angels along with russian singer ada garifalina at first i thought this was nuts what a coup for robbie even he admits he was bewildered to get the call up like why not get someone like taylor swift but then i found out courtesy of a televised interview with ada that it was the 20th anniversary of angels and that the world is basically still obsessed with that song one of ed miller band's desert island discs (laughs) just preempted you're beautiful by james blunt that song didn't it yeah if i mean i think if there's one thing i can get fully committed to with this world cup it is the appearance of robbie williams um i don't know if you know this about me pandora but i have a quite bizarre soft spot for robbie williams i love his music i love him i love everything about him i still have an enormous crush on him um and actually i think it i was less shocked than other people that he was the opening ceremony because historically he's always really loved football he does that charity football thing every year with that very strange very tall friend of his what's he called jonathan wilkes weird i knew that and um, and i remember sing when you're winning which was one of his kind of iconic albums had um him at a football match on the on the album cover 
I love that you think that just because someone loves something, it means they might, they're, they're sort of duty bound to perform at like one of the world's biggest. I just didn't think it was that strange. I associate him so much with football. But I mean, maybe it was a bit odd that it wasn't a Russian singer. So Robbie strutted out in a leopard print suit, looking quite smug, but a lot of fans were unimpressed, calling him unpatriotic for singing there. He's quite au fait with Russian oligarchs, though. In 2016, he was reported to have made 1.6 million from one performance at the £8 million wedding of the daughter of one of Russia's richest oil magnates, Rashid Sardarov. I really, really hope this means there's going to be a Robbie Williams renaissance. I think it's overdue. I've read that he and his wife are in talks to be X Factor judges. It's definitely going to signify the 48th comeback of Robbie Williams. I'm a bit confused by him flipping the bird, though. He since said that he was trying to indicate that there was a one, that there was one minute until yeah, kickoff. Yeah. So he used his middle finger to indicate that one minute left. But I don't buy that. It's the least comfortable finger to erect in order to signify that you have one minute to go. You definitely just take the easier option and go for the index rather than. Who do you think he was flipping it at then? I think he was trying to be sensationalist and then had like a bit of a freak out. Mm. Ada was asked about this by Kate Garraway and she said that she didn't see it and Kate was like, yeah, that's a chic answer. You know how to evade a question, Ada. (laughs) (laughs) A great thing to have come out of the World Cup is the news that thousands of Iranian women have travelled to Kazan in Russia to watch Iran play Spain on Wednesday night. For most, it's their first football match ever as law prohibits them from attending matches back home. The Times reports... It's not that the Iranian authorities object to women liking football, rather that they do not want men and women mingling at the same Mm. event. It's hardly surprising, therefore, that a third of the Iran supporters in Kazan tonight will be female. This is their chance to cheer in freedom. I love that. Mm. By the way, did you see Alan Sugar's tweet? Oh no, what's he done now? He's come under fire for tweeting about the Senegalese team. I recognise some of these guys from the beach in Marbella. Multitasking, resourceful chat. People told him off, obviously, the racist subtext to that being that all young black men look the same. And Alan Sugar was so old and bolshy about the whole thing. Instead of sort of taking a dignified retreat and just deleting it, I was going, why? It's funny, it's funny. Eventually, he said he took it down as people insisted. There have also been some disturbing stats that have been circulating that Pandora and I were very, very shocked and upset by. Yeah, I shared it on Twitter and Instagram, and I have to say, the the response to me was also incredible, just shock. And those are the figures on domestic violence. So domestic violence, it was it was revealed by a study this week, is said to rise by 38% when England loses a football match and 32% if they win. So either way, win or lose, not great for abused women. I think it's really important that this stat is circulating because hopefully it will mean that there's hyper-awareness around it. Football is so embedded and so deeply entrenched in our culture and for a lot of households and families it's a part of a weekly life or a weekly routine so if that routine is associated with violence and pain and abuse you can't imagine how relentless and harrowing that could be. I think what's really important about this is that we don't take this stat at face value which I did notice a lot of people doing on Twitter there was a lot of this is why I hate football or this is why football fans are terrible people or this is why football is the worst sport in the world Now, a football fan is not necessarily an abuser and vice versa. My husband adores football almost as much as he does our daughter and he hasn't got a violent bone in his body. I think we need to be thoughtful when we analyse shocking statistics like these. As the journalist Laura Jane Williams said, who shared the stat with us in the first place, sports games are accompanied with, you know, a huge amount of adrenaline, the highs and lows of watching the arc of a game. And in addition, they are synonymous with heavy boozing, which can create an environment in which abusers are highly charged and therefore much more likely Mm. to act violently. Mm. Katie Ghost, chief executive of domestic violence charity Women's Aid, said in a statement, the sexist attitudes, chants and behaviour at football matches encourage an environment in which women are belittled and demeaned. Together we can send out the powerful message that domestic abuse is always unacceptable and that there is no place for violence in football, whether on or off the pitch. And a footnote that if you are in a violent relationship and need help or you are a victim of domestic abuse or you know someone who is and who needs help, please do contact the National Domestic Violence Helpline on 0808 2000 247. And we will put that in the show notes. So there you have it. The Hilo's first and probably last ever football segment. I rather liked it. I feel a bit like Des Lynam. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We have a very special guest today, Clemmie Hooper, midwife, author of two books, mother of daughters, to those who know her on Instagram, is here to talk about misogyny on social media, how we treat men and women differently on the internet, and her recent exit and re-entry on Instagram. Clemmie, welcome to the Hilo studio. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We know that you were very, are very in demand. We feel honoured that you've come into the Hilo <laughs> to chat with us. A lot of Hilo listeners will be, we are sure, mother of daughter fans. Just to set the scene, when did you first join social media and what were you trying to do? Um, my social media journey started back when I was on maternity leave after I'd had my second baby and she is now seven, so 2011. Um, I was working full-time as a midwife and I was on maternity leave and I was bored. (laughs) And I just wanted to do something, and I didn't know what, but I knew that um, writing was something I always really enjoyed. So I started a blog and it's called Gas and Air. And it was about midwifery, but also motherhood came into it as I was a second time mum. And often the two kind of crossed anyway. Mm. Um, I joined Twitter, (laughs) very reluctantly, I'm rubbish on Twitter. And that was it really, but blogging was my thing. And then Instagram, I joined as midwifey hooper. Um, And that was just, yeah, like another platform. But yeah, just to like filter a photo of my baby. (laughs) I used to sometimes get things on my blog, like people would leave anonymous comments that were a bit spiky or a bit like judgmental or questioning what you were saying, but um it kind of it was very few and far between it wasn't really a massive issue um and then I think as I noticed my following going up on Instagram so probably over the last year has it done a very rapid ascent yeah I think just as your following goes up with with Instagram you know you're obviously opening yourself up to to more people and that's life I guess and that's when I noticed it um, and then obviously with my husband as well, his following was going up like at triple speed to mine. So your husband is father of daughters yeah. to you, Simon. your mother of daughters. Yeah, he had the name first. I was still midwifey Hooper when he joined Instagram as father of daughters. And I wanted to change mine anywhere. I just had the twins. So obviously it was all daughters. So I thought, oh, I might change mine. I was toing and froing. I never thought together it'd be like this brand. It was just like, oh, actually, it's quite interesting to have the dad side. Mm. So why don't we just make it like a collective and I'll just become mother of daughters. Now he has close to a million followers? I think so. I've got close to half a million followers. Yeah, I really don't, I honestly don't look, I don't have any of those apps that show you your like following. Like when you post a picture, you've lost 500 followers. I don't have that at all. And I think that's quite navel gazy, that app. That wouldn't do me any favours at all. And also like, you know, when you lose followers, I just... I just would rather... So between not... you, you have a million and a half <laughs> followers. You you carry yes. a lot of influence. And as, as you say, you are opening yourself up to the thoughts and opinions of a lot of people. What led you to suspend your Instagram account a few weeks ago? There wasn't like one thing that made me go, okay, that's it, I need to come off. There had been a kind of drip, drip things that have been going on. And it was nothing specific, but there have been like things that have been going on on my account that I just thought actually I need to just step away now and before I disabled my account I um, deleted the app from my phone so I just wasn't looking at it but it was still active and it didn't actually help the issues that I was kind of dealing with behind the scenes so I just needed to kind of stop and almost just kind of silence it and I think the problem with Instagram and a lot of people don't realise when you have a big following is obviously you've got dms which i mean it's a whole nother level of whatsapp isn't it 
Well, you've got the two folders, so you can you've got messages from people that you yeah, follow absolutely. or you've accepted before, um, which is brilliant because so many many of us have friends on Instagram, um, but then you've got your other folder, which is ones that you can read but not accept, and then the person can't see, and they're the ones that are really tricky to deal with. And I'm did you, all... and you, did you find you were getting a lot of comments in there that were just yeah critical. And then... Just a lot of things like you can read a message and you can be just doing whatever in your day, whether it's picking your kids up from school or having a, you know, just doing stuff. And then there can be just one message that completely flaws you. Mm. And I think that's, you know, a lot of people talk about this on Instagram that it comes into your life. And that one message, it can completely ruin your day. And you're like, now, do I respond? Is this an actual person that wants to engage? Is this person just trying to trip me up? Or get your attention. Or get your attention. You know, people use what you say as a power and sometimes might screenshot things and share it. And you're just like, I need to now actually protect myself. And like, what am what am I doing here? What What is this? And I did feel like that. So I just needed to disable. And I didn't really discuss it with anyone. I just disabled my account and um, told relevant people and it, wow. Well, yeah, I mean, there was a, <laughs> a hashtag where's Clemmy campaign okay. And going how, around. how did you find that, that period? Because it, it must be quite a um, prominent feature in your day-to-day life. It yeah. certainly is for me and I have nowhere near as much for following as you do. How did it feel when that was removed from your day-to-day life? Um, I felt, well, initially, and I think we just do it creatures of habit, you know, I would go to my phone yeah. to think, oh, oh no, I haven't got that. And to disable your Instagram account, you have to do it from a laptop. It's a bit technical, but it's fine. So the app had gone. And after actually a day or two, I just had like a bit of clarity. And I just was like, right, let's just use this time to really focus on what I want to do. And I used it to look at where I want my my channel, my page to go. Do I want to come back? And actually, people were reaching out through email or messages. And it was so, like, I was just so emotional about it. Because I was like, God, people care. Mm-hmm. And I'd said to Simon initially, I don't want to know or see anything. And he was like, okay. I was like, can we just not talk about it? It was one of those, like, I don't want to talk about Instagram. I just want to have, like, no Instagram. And he's like, okay, sure. And then after, like, a week, he was like, Clemmy people are really missing you. Like, I am being inundated. <laughs> Poor guy. And he's like, people want to know where stuff is from and I don't know. It was very <laughs> sweet at one point he put up a, a picture or something and I think he said, like, Clemmy's fine. She's just, like, taking a break. Yeah. She's just enjoying enjoying some things. Was he really in support of you taking that, that mental break? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we both live it. We live with our Instagram. It's, you know, it's another part of our job. So he totally got it. He got why I needed to come away from it. And yeah, like I read loads of books. It was so, not getting into bed and scrolling. And it actually taught me that I can pick it up and put it down. And that was a really good thing for me because if I had realized that I hated it, which I don't, you know, Instagram is an amazing platform, then obviously I probably wouldn't have come back. How do you feel now having come back on? Um, The kind of anxiety of coming back on was like, oh my God, I'm going to come back on, what if no one really cares? (laughs) What if I literally come back and people are like, oh, you're back? Or, like, I just didn't know what to do. The response was enormous. It was was quite incredible. And I decided to come back and post what I posted and then just leave it. I didn't look at it at all. I left. posted your first picture. Yeah, one of my first. With one of those frames that we all loved. Yeah. But I think that was really important because actually what you were doing there symbolically Mm -hmm. is going back to like the root of it. Of like, what am am I doing here? Why? What was the joy in this? Yes, exactly. And I think that is something and the feedback I've had from people via DMs and comments is that people are like, yes, I actually, talking about them, need to look at what I'm using my platform for and what do I love about it. And I think it's something we can all actually really Mm. learn from. In a recent interview with The Times, your husband Simon said that about 80 to 90% of his followers are women. So the chances are that you guys have a lot of the same people following you. Yet he gets a lot less criticism on his platforms. Why do you think it is that men have a much easier time of it on social media? 
He has a very light-hearted attitude to a lot of the comments he gets. He's quite funny about them. He turns everything to a joke. I mean, does he, he deal with the criticism, do you think, better than Yeah, do? I think he does. And I think that probably says a lot, actually, about the comments he gets. I mean, he gets criticism because, you know, he's got nearly a million followers and... You know, he's talking about parenting, which is the most divisive. Yeah. I mean, we just, you know, we can't all agree on parenting, can we? That's that's life, isn't it? I think it's really interesting that you and your husband are in the same family, raising the same kids, and he has nearly double the amount of social media followers than you. What do you think that says? I'm really interested as to why you think that might be. People ask you if I'm like jealous or if we have like a no. competitive thing. <laughs> no, as in that's not the insinuation <laughs> at all. As in, um, to me, it's to me what it says yeah. is how women fetishise men who parent oh. and yet how with women that parent, we scold them. So it's why, as, as Pandora just said, it's why like a man by dint of just holding a baby is like, it's a, it's a dream boy it's, it's a dream boy and with a woman holding a baby it's like let's look at all the ways she's mm. doing this wrong mm. and just the double standard we have there with parenting I think there's this thing that we, as mothers we should just know better and I do think it goes back to the fact that as women we carry the young and we well, make the book says, yeah. we, we make all those decisions so from the moment you conceive or are trying to conceive, you're making conscious decisions. Should I be eating this? Should I be eating that? Your entire pregnancy, you know, is dictated by, well, should I have that scan? Or should I be doing NCT classes? And as much as I'd like to think that it is very co-parenting from the moment that fetus is growing inside you, for my husband personally, he was like, whatever you want to do. You know, I was like, I'd quite like to have a home birth. And he was like, yeah, sure. Like, sure. He mm. wasn't, he was like, well, it's your body. It wasn't like, it's our baby. Even when it came down to like feeding choices and sleeping, if you're going to, you know, topics I just don't ever want to get into on Instagram. But like, if you're going to bed share or bottle feed, all of this, yeah, he would just be like, whatever you want to do, babe. Like, it's just, he just wouldn't. It's so funny, so because I was so aware of when I was making the choices, I am going to leave it that vague, of how my daughter would sleep and where she would sleep and what she would sleep in and how I was feeding her. I've been really careful about what I've been sharing because I just, yeah, I, I, I can't enter that arena. One thing that I'm really interested by is this idea that we societally and culturally, so not individualistically, but like as a collective, we build women up. And then when we think they've got sort of too successful or too big for themselves, we tear them down. And from an outsider's point of view, that's something that I would say has applied to you. There's this idea that someone's only relatable when they are at a certain sort of point in their life or career. Why do you think it is, and I think we have a real problem with this, that men are allowed to earn money and to be seen to be working. So your husband can do paid partnerships on Instagram, for example, which is something that I do as well. You know, I, I, we disclose them and it's all above board and it's part of your job. Yet, when you do paid partnerships, you're held under really, really high standards. And I feel like it comes back to this idea that it's a bit gross and grabby for women to be taking opportunities and to be earning money. It's like they don't know their place, but it's okay for a man to do it because, you know, he's just taking the opportunities that come his way. How do we overcome that that double standard? It's really interesting. Socially, it's just one big experiment, isn't it? That's, totally, yeah. Um, Maybe that's your role, is to just keep on doing it and to show that it's yeah. okay, more than okay. And there's been content that I've put out that actually I've looked back and I've gone, that wasn't a great choice or that wasn't a great move to do and probably wouldn't do like a paid partnership with that again. And that's fine, like, and you learn, and it's like any job, isn't it? You Some days you're, like, smashing it at work, and some days you're like, yeah, I didn't actually, like, perform as best as I could. You know, I've had criticism in the past because I work part-time as a midwife. I don't work full-time. Now, I don't know if people presume or know, but Simon works full-time as a management consultant. His Instagram is just another job that he manages to fit in. And no one ever sort of questions that. Um, I wonder if it's because I'm a health professional and therefore I'm then accountable for something else. So how can I be both? Can you be both? I mean, Dr. Ranj, he's a working 
A&E doctor and he's on CBeebies he's my hero <laughs> love the way Dolly and I neither of you watch CBeebies were like who's this guy <laughs> guys <laughs> does Peppa Pig work part time uh, yeah I reckon she probably does actually no she what doesn't she like help in the school I feel like you again, need to get Dr Rand on the show again guys. we do we do not know um, it'll come Pandora it's not long until we'll be watching the Peppa Pig years well, Dr Rand oh the Dr Rand years I think yeah I think it's really interesting you say that and I think a lot of what you put on your Instagram is to do with the the job you do and the, and the career that you trained in but obviously as a young mother of four kids who also has this kind of burgeoning media platform with your husband like it's kind of understandable that you're not working in the hospital every day because you're also trying to do loads of other things but I think it's interesting that some of the criticism you've got is that like well, you're not really a midwife anymore. Like, if you're only doing one day, what what do you know? And I think we need to have a more comfortable relationship with, A, women doing more than one job, which is something we've spoken about. Cause and women making money. Job. Women making money. And that's not... That's okay. It doesn't I, make you greedy and shallow. But I think that's the thing about the health professional, is that if you work in the NHS, that maybe there's that presumption that you don't care about money, because obviously everyone in the NHS is so underpaid. Yeah. And therefore, like well, why on earth would you be taking opportunities like that? You know, you're a, you're a midwife. You should be by bedsides only. Like, yeah. it's a very one, like a one-note way we look at healthcare professionals, maybe. Yeah, but also I think it's how we look at women. Like, in mm. my comeback post, I said, I am a woman, but I'm also a midwife and a mother, and I really like interiors, and I like fashion and music and books, and... You know, we are not just one person and you could interview a hundred women and their interests and passions come from so many things. And if there is an element of the things I love and I can make a bit of money on the side by doing a bit of paid partnership or having, you know, opportunities like coming on my favourite podcast ever <laughs> and being a guest, like, like why wouldn't you in life take yeah. these opportunities? And I feel like I have... I used to get in trouble for talking at school all the time. They'd be like, Clementine, I can only hear your voice above everyone else's. And, you know, I used to feel like I was going to be silenced at school. But I'm like, I'm not going to be silenced. I've got loads to say. And there's some amazing women on Instagram that also have these amazing voices that are saying really interesting things. And I just think Instagram is fantastic for that. And I just think it's going to take off on another level at the moment. I really feel there's this really strong not just in motherhood, but just women. There's some incredible accounts, and I've actually started following loads of new people, which has made even my Instagram feed more interesting. I always talk about this to women who are like, oh, I feel, you know, that I'm not enough. And I'm like, right, you need to look at your feed. Like, are you following the right women? Absolutely. You, it, uh, you need to curate it kind of for your best yes. brain. Treat it like your magazine. Treat it like your morning paper. You know, the majority, I mean... That's what I've always found weird about trolling, though, is I'm like, if someone fucks you off, just unfollow them. I know. I never understand. I remember when I had Zadie and someone wrote... I'd, I'd had it for, like, two and a half weeks and someone wrote too much baby on <laughs> her picture. And I was like, just unfollow me. And she replied, and she was like, I have. And I was like, well, then this conversation is moot. Because <laughs> you're never going to see it again. Too you know, much baby. It's just like, it's... I find it really odd that we feel like we have, like permission to 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 make these kind of comments and, and judgments and arguably if you have like a platform then you should be prepared for that but no one teaches you those skills and we are all learning this for the first time yeah. together i also said Did that in my comeback of shame I come back, Clemmy's comeback, TM. Yeah, TM, yeah. Oh, God. No, I was kind of like, we're all doing this together for the first time ever. Like, this has never happened before, this whole level of communicating and sharing on Instagram, using that as my example of social media, whether or it's Twitter or even Facebook or blogs. You know, of course we're going to... I don't even want to say make mistakes because that sounds so negative, but of course we're going to no. trip up and go... Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, you guys must get it in the work that you do, in the writing you do. Actually, that article wasn't what I actually really wanted to say. Hey, let's move on. Like, it's it's a whole new world. And, you know, I went to school and then I went to university and I trained as a midwife. There was no social media training. I was just interested in those moments where you say that Instagram does kind of seep into your life when you mm. have those, you know, 
horrible messages or you see kind of unkind comments or you're being sort of harassed like I certainly saw um I, f- I felt slightly guilty actually because the last post that Clemmy did before she went off radar was an unbelievably kind and generous post about my book and I saw how because I was getting notifications how it was literally it was harassment at one point there was one account your book in particular. is dangerous <laughs> it needs to come one... with a little warning read this at your peril <laughs> There was one account that it was it was it was really constant, and I just wanted to know like what you would want to say to the people behind those accounts. Like, what would you say from the human in behind your account to the human behind that account? And indeed, to any listeners who think it might be just like a bit funny or their place to write, I don't know, very cruel personal comments. Like, what would you say to those people to sort of have a little think about it? I think with anything that's written as opposed to spoken, messages get lost. And that is, I don't know, the downfall, isn't it? Mm. Where some things I read and I'm like, oh, did they mean that in that way? Or, you know, even something as minute as a comma. For me personally, if I see comments that I'm going to call them spiky comments, because there is that kind of, oh, okay, I... I've just learned to step away from it because I think that is a really good lesson for anything. That angry email you want to send, don't send it, sleep rise on above. it. Sleep on it, look at it maybe the next day. And actually, people are really good at kind of getting, people like to get involved in comments, which I think, again, can be a really positive thing, but actually then that can take off another lead. Instagram are doing really positive things to work against anti-bullying, anti-trolling. Sometimes I think maybe you just need to take five as the commenter and as the person receiving it and going, okay, do I need to reply to this? Do I need to engage in it? If it's a really genuine question and a lot of comments I get and they're like, this isn't a negative question, but I'm generally interested. And they're just asking something which has an opposed view. That is really important. And I think we should really be careful as if someone actually has an opposed view to you it doesn't make them a troll or yeah. really and that I think is a really key message that I've, I've kind of tried to bring back with my Instagram that I'm like I want to listen and I actually want to learn because there are some amazing women and men on Instagram that are saying and doing interesting things and if we all live in this echo chamber of like oh my god I love you hon like it's quite dull but actually let's talk about stuff let's challenge stuff you know if we can bring politics into instagram and you're happy to have those type of conversations on your account brilliant i think it's just how you then can like walk away and there's been times when things have got heated on other people's accounts and i've seen people say do you know what i feel like i've said enough and i'm just going to walk away but this has been really interesting and i think that's great and also the people that are hosting the content have gone in and said can we just try? Cool it down. Yeah, call it down. And that is a whole nother, you know, discussion, isn't it? Whose responsibility is it for so monitoring? Be graceful, be thoughtful, yeah. take some time. On it basically on either side. Mm. Be curious. The coin. Yeah. Yeah. All the mantras of the high low. Yeah. Clemmy, thank you so much for joining us. Wow, it's an honour. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening to the high low. You can tweet us at the high low show or email us thehighlowshow at gmail.com. Bye bye. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.